Ephesians. And so we finished the first three chapters of this book of practicality. And tonight we're going to roll into the fourth chapter. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of James chapter number four. Glory to God. The book of James chapter number four. And we'll begin our reading at verse number one. James four, verse number one. And let's, if you will, let's if put, let's go to the New Living Translation. We can get that from a new NLT. We'll start there and then we'll um, try to move on down here and get some understanding from this passage, okay? Now, this chapter here, this fourth chapter, makes it clear that there were carnal divisions and disputes among the believers, amen, that James was writing to. The word carnal means what, you guys? What does that word mean? Worldly or fleshy, right there, right? It means worldly or fleshy. And when we say worldly, we're saying it's of the world's system. It's of the world's way of doing things. It's, it's of the world's uh, game plan. And as called out born-again believers who trust Christ as our personal Savior, our strategy for life should not be the same as those who are living according to the world's system. Amen. God called us out. As a matter of fact, the church is known as the Greek word, the ecclesia, the called out ones. So we've been called out of this world system, this world's way of doing things, and we've been commissioned as ambassadors for Christ to do it God's way. Okay? So, but when we look at this text here, uh, we see that one, of, one, one cause was the selfish desire of many to be teachers, which we talked about that in the last chapter, that we shouldn't be in a hurry to go be a teacher. Because why? Teachers are going to be judged a, with a greater degree of scrutiny because of in that position as a teacher, you can mess somebody up and lead someone astray. So they're going to be held to a higher standard, Okay. Uh, but so, so one cause was a selfish desire of many to be teachers, but the basic cause was spiritual. There was a lack of true separation in the lives of the people, okay? And it's tragic when brethren dwell together in discord instead of unity. Uh, that Psalm, the 133rd number of Psalm, which we hear quoted all the time, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And it went on and talks about how unity is such a, um, a precious thing to God, because God knows that uh, when we come together on a united front on his word, there's nothing that the devil in hell can do to stop us. But the enemy always tries to bring disunity because if he can disrupt us as a body of believers. If we're not on the same page, then then he can he can divide us and conquer us. The the. 133rd number sum talks about the oil that ran down uh, Aaron's beard. And that oil was precious. I told you before, as we taught on that, that that oil was uh, was only used uh, at the ordaining of a high priest. And most uh, uh, Jewish people only saw the ordaining of a high priest once in their lifetime. So that was a very valuable commodity. And what God said in that 133rd number sum is he says unity is just like the value that's placed on that oil. That's used to anoint the high priest. So God, God thinks a whole lot and he values a man unity in the body of Christ. But when there's disunity, 
It disrupts God's plan. So we're going to uh, go into this text. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Anytime you are part of a church and there's fussing, arguing, fighting, uh, there's, uh, there's more attention on, on, on the differences and what's going on than it is to unity that should be binding us all together in Christ Jesus. If there's more attention on that stuff, then we know that the enemy has gotten in and began to work his plan to divide the church and conquer it. So what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Verse two, you want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. All right. Somebody said, that ain't true about me. I ask the Lord all the time. Well, well, maybe this is you. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Now watch what it says. Go down to verse 7. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? Watch this. But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. Verse seven. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil. And what will he do? He will flee from you. Okay. He will flee from you. Now, as we get down into this and break down this book, this this particular chapter, uh, in the book of James, um, let's jump back to James 3 and 15 and see what it says about the things a believer must battle if we're going to live victoriously in this life. Go, go to James 3 verse 15 with me right quick. It says this, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Read it again. Let's back up and read it again. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Because remember, we were talking about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. Remember in chapter 3, okay? Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Look at verse 16. Watch this. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. All right? Y'all got that? All right? Verse 17 for good measure. Watch this. But the wisdom from above, now again, the earthly wisdom was couched and covered in that kind of stuff. Jealousy, selfish ambition. But, but the wisdom from above is first of all what? Pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism. And it's always sincere, the wisdom that comes from above. Let's get back to the fourth chapter right quick because I want to see if we can unpack some things here. Oh, so, so as we get down through here, look at the first part of the outline, the enemies we face. What are the enemies we face? Um, uh, the unsaved person lives for the world and his flesh. And he's literally controlled by the enemy. The unsaved person is, the unsaved man is. 
When a man is saved, he receives the Holy Spirit, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, let, let me explain to you. When I, the Bible says, if, if, uh, if I have not the spirit of Christ, I'm not his, right? So when a, whenever a man or woman uh, makes a conscious decision to invite Christ into his heart to save him, then the spirit of God takes up residence in him. The spirit of Christ is within him. Because if I don't have the spirit of Christ, I'm not his. Now, but having the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit is different than being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Ghost means that I am being controlled by him. And the Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. In contrast to being drunk, which when you are drunk, you're controlled by what? Spirits. You know, you ever went by a liquor store and it says what? Wine and what? Any of y'all ever had some kind of spirits? <laughs> it wasn't the Holy Ghost, right? I need to know how many of y'all ever had those kind of spirits. See, wine and spirits, spirits are a little bit stronger than the wine, right? Okay, y'all don't want to talk to him, right? All right, so, 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 so what, what Paul did when he wrote that, that, that particular text, he says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, because when you're drunk with wine, that means you're controlled by that spirit or that, 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 that liquor that's on the inside of you, but be filled with the spirit. So in like manner, when you're controlled by that substance, it controls your faculties, when you're filled with the, with the Holy Ghost, it'll control your faculty. Even uh, there were, you know, we don't, on the day of Pentecost, we know that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We also know and recognize that um, the, one of the ways that some of the skeptical Jews knew that Gentiles had the same experience that they had had on Pentecost was when they, when they, when they, when they heard them speak in other tongues. Speaking of the tongues at that time was a was an outward manifestation of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is being controlled by the Spirit of God. So all of us are, are commissioned and admonished to be filled with the Spirit. Amen. So I, I've been born again. The Spirit of Christ abides on the inside of me. But but in order to be filled with the Spirit, I got to yield my will to His will. Can I get a witness? How many of you know that that there are many times in the body of Christ. We have people who are in the church that have made a decision to invite Christ in their heart to save them, but many have not yielded their will to the Holy Spirit to allow him to have full and complete control. And the infilling of the Holy Spirit cannot happen without your participation. you got to be willing to yield your will to his will, okay? Y'all still with it? All right, so, uh, so when a man is saved, he receives the Holy Spirit within and has a new nature, but he will still battle the following three enemies, Okay? You still battle the follow through. How many of y'all know that even though you're saved, you got some stuff you got to battle? Okay. I like to say it this way. Many of us, not many of us, all of us brought some element or some residue of our old life into our new life. Okay. Let me repeat that. All of us in here brought some residue. Some of the inklings of our old life before Christ into our new life after Christ. It's kind of like if someone smokes marijuana or tobacco. Even though 
they can get some air freshener and spray or incense to try to, huh? It still kind of follows you. And it's, it, it, it gets even to the point to where if you do it enough, it begins to get into your skin, right? So some of that residue follows you. Uh, when we got saved, got born again, uh, our spirit man became new. But our flesh, we still have to deal with, right? The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. The spirit of man is what's reborn. So, but we still have to deal with this, this, this flesh which has that old nature that we got to battle against, right? There were some cravings that you had before you got born again pr- pr- prior to inviting Christ to come in your heart to save you. And some of those cravings didn't go away. Some may have. Some went away instantly, but in there's some you still battle it. Can we talk? We're still battling. So, 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 so we have to make sure that we understand how to strategize to deal with these things. The word, look, look, look with me again. Go back to uh, the, the fourth chapter of James and let's go back to uh, verse number Two and three, two and three. I took it two and three right quick. Are you still tracking with me? It says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Verse three says what? Let's read. You don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want, you want only what will give you pleasure. Now, the word, the word lust, as used in the KJV, the word lust does not necessarily mean sensual passions. Most of the time, when you hear the word lust, what's the first thing you think of? Sex, right? Is that, is that correct? All right. Uh, but, but that word lust actually goes beyond just sensual passions, okay? The word lust as used in this context of scripture simply means desires, all kinds of desires. And these desires are at work amongst us, the members of the body of Christ. And these desires, they excite the flesh and when the flesh is excited, not just sensual passion, but the other things that excite the flesh, when the, when the flesh is excited, it creates problems. Am I right about it? Everybody say, when my flesh gets out of control, it creates problems. Say it again. Say problems. All right. So so, but but that term lust means lust means desires, strong desires. Keep in mind that the, that the body itself, our body itself, the Bible said no good thing dwelleth in the flesh. But, but really, when it talks about the flesh, the flesh in of itself is just a flesh, a body. All of us have one. But really, the, the root of the problem is the sinful nature. Okay? The sinful nature that, that, that all of us have. This, it's the fallen nature that, that still wants to control the body. It's the fallen nature that's sinful. So all of us have a fallen nature. 
All of us, if we are not on point, all of us, if we're not focused, all of us, if we're not prayed up, studied up, and, and, and alert, have the potential to follow the desires of our flesh. Whether that be sexual desires, food, on down the line, drinking, whatever it is that's harmful or not meaningful or good for our, our spiritual walk, all those things will arise in our flesh, the lust of our flesh. Are y'all still tracking with me? So the first uh, uh, of these three enemies is the flesh. The flesh is human. The flesh is human nature apart from God. Y'all got that on the outline? The flesh is human nature apart from God. When we hear the term flesh, we're talking about human nature apart from God. All of us have human nature. All right. But when that human nature is separated from God, then it causes problem in our world. Just as the world is human society apart from God. In other words, I said when we do life, amen, apart from God, that means we are worldly. When we, uh, when we are fleshy, that means our human nature is operating, Brenda, apart from God. And when that happens, we are considered to be fleshy or carnal. Go, go with me right quick to uh, 1 Corinthians. Y'all know this, but I want to show it to you again because... Even though you're in the church, even though you're born again, we have to be on guard against our flesh, the lust of our flesh, amen, taking over. First uh, Corinthians chapter three, verse number one. Let's look at that right quick. Are y'all still t- tracking with me today? So we're looking at three enemies uh, that we face. The first we talk about is the flesh. The second is going to be the world. Amen. The third one is the devil, the flesh, the world and the devil. Sometimes we blame the devil for something that it actually was our flesh. Huh? Sometimes we blame the devil for something, you know, that it was actually our flesh. The devil is a liar. I am not going to eat this cake. <laughs> or after we eat the cake, we want to bind the devil. I got news for you. Probably, in all likelihood, I'm probably 99% sure the devil had nothing to do with you eating that cake at 11 o'clock at night. That was your flesh. That was the lust of your flesh. That was the desire of your, your, your human flesh, okay? But we, you know, I think we make ourselves feel good by trying to bind the devil and blame the devil for stuff they really, he probably, the devil probably said, I ain't got, eat all the cake you want to eat. All right. All right. So watch, watch what it says here. Paul was writing this letter to what? The church at Corinth. And he writes this letter to the church at Corinth. He says something that's really profound. And you've heard it preached all time and time again. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Whenever you have a church where the pastor can't talk to them as spiritual people, you have a problem. Because in a church where you can't talk to the people like spiritual people and they're operating in their human nature apart from God, you're going to have issues. He says, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. Babes in Christ, right? Next verse, let's read. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food. So when you, whenever you have 
a, a congregation that's full of people who are operating in their human nature apart from God, there are certain subjects you can't even cover because they're not going to understand it. They will get confused and it's going it's to just disrupt their life. He said, I have to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. Listen, don't be guilty like this Corinthian church was. And you've been in ministry 10, 15, 20 years, been a part of a teaching ministry, and people still got to talk to you like you're a spiritual baby. You still get your feelings hurt over a little bit of nothing because you hadn't grown in your faith. Don't be that way, okay? Let's, let's all make a conscious decision to grow in our faith, to be able to progress so that we can handle some things that maybe we couldn't handle five or ten years ago, right? Says for you, look at what it says in verse 3. Can we read together? It says, what? for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. There we go. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. What's that arguing? You're jealous of one another and you quarrel with each other. Anytime you find somebody down in somebody else because God blessing them, that's a jealous person. And a jealous person is an immature person. Listen, man, if God blesses you, I am so happy for you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, man, I'm not going to be to my where's mine. I mean, because God, God knows exactly where I am. If God blesses you, I want to rejoice with you. A mature person can rejoice with you. A immature person will get jealous and begin to talk about you. All right. He says, you're jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? People of the world live apart from God. The uh, flesh, lust, uh, fleshy, lusty person, lustful person is living a, uh, in a human nature apart from God, okay? A worldly person is living according to this world system, amen, and not according to God being a part of their life, okay? Human society apart from God is this world system, all right? So y'all got that. So aren't you living like people of the world? Verse 4, let's read it. It says what? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? Uh, after all, who's Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us six. Let's read. I plant the seed in your hearts and Apollo's water. But it was God who gave who made it grow. Right. So we, we don't want to get all bent out of shape um, uh, uh, about following individual personality. It's not important who does the planting, who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The Corinthian church had issues. Now, thankful as you read into the second letter that Paul wrote to them, they began to grow. They began to handle some things a, lot, a whole lot better. But at this point in time, when he wrote this first letter, they were there was some stuff he couldn't talk to them about because they were still spiritual babies. All right. So when when you have fleshy people, people operating in their human nature apart from God, there are certain things that they won't have the ability to understand from a spiritual standpoint. As your pastor, I don't want anybody in here to be living fleshy. I don't want anybody here to be dominated by your flesh. And what do we say flesh means? Human nature apart from God. All of us are susceptible to walking by our flesh. So that's why we got to stay prayed up. We got to keep coming to, to hear word, to be encouraged, to stay in the word, to be encouraged, to look at life 
uh, through the prism of God's word and not our own thoughts. Okay, y'all with me? So the first enemy is flesh. Flesh. The flesh is human nature apart from God, just as the world is human society apart from God. That's why in Romans six, in Romans six exhorts us to yield the members of our bodies to the spirit. Go to Romans six chapter one right quick. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Romans chapter number six. And who's writing the book of Romans? Let's go to, uh, if you will, let's uh, look at uh, verse number one. Go to verse number one. Romans six, verse number one. He says, well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Because, you know, he said previously, where sin abound, grace did much more abound. So Paul asked a rhetorical question. He said, well, so if, if a sin, if, 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 if sin happens, if sin is abounded, then grace abounds much more. Should I keep on sinning so I can get more grace? That's the rhetorical question he asked. And the obvious answer is no, right? Of course not. Since we have, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Verse 3, let's read. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live, what, new lives. We ought to be looking different, guys. Those same clubs you were visiting when you were in your 20s and your 30s and drinking your cognac and all that, you ought to be out of those places. Some of that same foul music that you were listening to. Now, y'all know what foul music is. Listen, I'll tell you before, I like good, clean music. I love me some Motown. I love some 60s and 70s and 80s. You know, good, clean music. And so that don't mean you're not saved because you listen to uh, music that's not gospel. But some of this stuff, as a born again believer, it ought to be caught in coming through the speakers in your car. Are y'all listening to me? Because I'm going to tell you something. Music has a way of setting moods and tones. Are y'all following me? And some things you don't need to allow to get into your ear gate. Okay? So, so we got, he says, for we died, let's move on. Uh, for we died and were buried with Christ. He says, we have been united with him in his death. We also, we will also be raised to, to life as he was. Verse six, let's read. Uh, we know that our old sinful selves, watch this, were crucified with Christ. So that sin might lose its power in our lives. Now, here's the, look, look at this last sentence. And I want you to just book this and take a mental photographic image of that and supplant that inside your mind. Because the enemy will come and try to tell you that you can't help yourself and that you, you will always be this way. You're going to keep falling. No, no, no. He says we are no longer slaves to sin. That means that the capacity and the power that sin once held over me, now that I'm saved... It doesn't have that power any longer. Okay? It can't bind me up unless I choose to let it do so. Okay? Verse 7, for good measure. 
Says, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Okay, let's get back to James right quick so we can keep moving. So the, the first enemy that we talked about is the flesh. The second enemy is the world. We said the world is human society apart from God. Now, in case you have not noticed, our society, this country, is every day seems like we get farther removed from God. God ordained principles, God's word. It seems like that is, uh, uh, I don't know, your society wants to just block God out completely. But watch what this says here. Uh, Go back to James with me right quick. James 4 and 5. Watch what the text says. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? First, it says, but he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scripture said, God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. Go back to verse 4, four and 5. Go back to verse 4 with me right quick. He says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? The KW says it makes you at at enmity. The word E-N-M-I-T-Y, enmity means a deep-seated hatred. That's what it means. So he says, when you partner up with the world, and we said the world is what? Human society apart from God. So when I connect with human society apart from God, then now I'm at enmity with God. The word enmity means a deep-seated hatred. He says you adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy with God. Now, um, what this does right here in the book of James it describes it's describing spiritual adultery. Did you not know you can commit spiritual adultery? He just said it. He said, you adulterers. He wasn't talking about in, in, in this instance, he wasn't talking about now maybe some of them were doing that, but he wasn't talking about some man sleeping with a married woman or vice versa, or a woman sleeping with a married man. He was talking about spiritual adultery. In other words, you know, we, we, we're married to Christ. Yet loving on the world. Romans 7 and 4. Pop it up right here. Romans 7 and 4. Look at that real quickly. Romans 7 and 4. Married to Christ, but slipping out the back door on him. Hello? Watch this. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, and now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for whom? Of good deeds for God. Go, go with me to 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2 and 3. Spiritual adultery. We are the bride of Christ, so whenever we step out on Christ, we're committing spiritual adultery. Okay? Spiritual adultery. Now, I would surmise that all of us in here have committed spiritual adultery before. Because we start looking at life sometimes and we start viewing life apart from our God. And that's spiritual adultery. He says, watch what he says, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promise you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. 
This is Paul talking to the saints at Corinth. Look at what he says in the next verse, verse 3. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Y'all got that? Read, read that one more time. But I fear that somehow, what? So if we're the bride of Christ, we should have pure and undivided devotion to Christ, right? How many times have, we, have you allowed the cares of this world to draw your attention away from your groomsman, your, your, your husband? Christ, I'm trying Christ. Okay? So whenever that, whenever that happens, we, we, we're committing, when we start living life out of our own volition, out of our own thoughts and apart from God, we, we now are committing spiritual adultery according to what he says in the book of James. Okay, so don't, don't be guilty of spiritual adultery, all right? So uh, let's get back to James right quick. In the Old Testament, God called Israel's idolatry, he called it adultery because the idols had robbed him of their devotion. That's why, and let me, let me say this right quick. Whenever you see in scripture where God forbid, for, forbade the children of Israel to mix and mingle with some of those Gentile heathen nations, it was never because of you know, the outward color of their skin. It was always because he knew that those heathen nations did not have covenant with him. And God knew that when men start mingling with women, women can make a, a woman will have a man doing some foolish stuff. Don't y'all look at me like that. And some of y'all know, you know how to manipulate man. And so, so if you go back and read the history of Israel, you'll, you'll see and notice that, that, that those women turn the men's heart away from God. So God never, it was never about uh, ethnicity or nationality. It was all about who had covenant with God and who did not have covenant. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Because light can't fellowship with darkness. First thing I want to know, somebody get married, I want to know, are you saved? Are you saved? Tell me about your salvation experience. Some people have trouble telling me what it means to be saved. And, and so, so you, you can think you're going to marry somebody and change them if you want to. But I'm here to tell you, don't do it. Don't do it. Some, somebody said, I'm missionary dating. In other words, I'm dating to change him, get him saved. Pastor, no, no, no. Just let him make a decision for Christ first. And don't, if he cheating on you before you get married, what makes you think, pray tell me, that it's going to change after? So people do some of the darndest things, but I'm just telling you, uh, sometimes we, you know, we, we just, we're not living in wisdom. We're not walking in wisdom. We've been crucified to this world, and the world has been crucified to us. How can Christians have friendship with the world 
when they've been called out of the world, according to what John 15 said. John 15, verse 18 through 19 tells us that. So we don't, we're not going to go to but But again, the second enemy is the world. The world is society. Amen. We talk about society. The world is human society apart from God. And we're talking about flesh is human nature apart from God. So there are four dangerous steps in the believer's relationship with the world that we've got to be careful of. First of all, friendship with the world. He says it in James 4. And for friendship with the world, we've got to be careful. And we've got to be careful that we don't love the things of the world. Go to 1 John 2. Because 1 John 2 and verse 15. Four dangerous steps in the believer's relationship with the world that we've got to be careful of. Everybody say, watch out. Let me say, be careful. See, I don't, I don't care how long you've been saved. Don't ever get so comfortable in who you are to trust you. <laughs> Let me say it again. Don't get so comfortable in you that you trust you. Well, I know I ain't going to never do that. Baby, let me tell you something. The right situation, the right circumstance, you don't, ain't no telling what you'll do. So, so don't get comfortable and don't, don't trust your flesh and your willpower. Trust the God in you. Amen. All right, I'm telling you now. First John 2. You start trusting yourself and then yourself get weak or your, yourself starts to, to doubt or your, your, yourself can, you know, apart from God, you, you start being, you know, human nature apart from God is, 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 is flesh, right? And so we got to be careful that we don't trust ourselves, trust the God in us. Watch, watch what he says here, 15 through 17, ready to read. Do not love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will do what? Live forever. So he said, don't, 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 don't fall in love with the things of the world. And the, the world has some bright, shiny, attractive things that will garner your attention if you're not careful. All right. Uh, we shouldn't we, we should be careful uh, about conforming to this world. Y'all know Romans 12, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. OK, we're not even go there. Don't be don't don't conform. Conform. You got to be careful of of conforming to the world system. And be careful that, we, that we're not judged with the world according to what 1 Corinthians 11 and 32 tells us. So those, those are four dangerous steps in the believer's relationship with the world that we've got to be on guard against. Friendship with the world, loving the things of the world, conforming to the world, and, and, and making sure that we're not judged with the world. Amen? Because there are some people who are in the church, who are in the church, but they're not in Christ. How many of you know you can be in a physical local church congregation, but not be in Christ. And there, are, the sad commentary is that one day, uh, when this thing wraps up, there are going to be people who you thought were really, you know, just serving the Lord, but their heart was not changed. Maybe did some good stuff, but not everyone that said to me, "Lord, Lord," is going to enter the kingdom of God. He said, "But he that do the will of my Father which is in heaven." Amen. Okay. When the believer becomes a friend to the world. He becomes at enmity with God. I told you, enmity means deep-rooted hatred. 
When a person starts being friends with the world, he grieves the spirit of God that is within him. And that spirit of God jealously yearns for our love and for our faithfulness, guys. And it's sad the way many Christians live in and for the world. We can't, we can't do it. So uh, the world is that second name. The third name is the devil. Look at verse, uh, go back to James verse, verse 7. When a Christian lives for the world and the flesh, he becomes proud. And this is where the devil goes to work because pride is one of his best tools. Pride goeth what? Before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Skip back to verse six. I'm sorry. Verse six, please. Thank you so much. It says, but he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. Verse seven, let's read. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. As Christians, we must use the word to resist Satan. Okay? We got to use the word to resist Satan. Y'all know Jesus did it in the wilderness, right? Y'all know the temptation in the wilderness. Every time the enemy came, he said what? It is what? Written. Guys, I'm telling you, you cannot, you cannot stand against the onslaught of the enemy or even your flesh if you don't use the word of God to speak to your flesh and to speak to your spirit, man. Feed yourself the word. Hear yourself say what God says about you. Amen? So the devil is that third enemy. And we, but, but in order to resist him, we got to first submit to God. Submit to God. He says, so humble yourself. First of all, humble yourself before God. Then resist the devil and he'll, free, he'll flee from you. But you got to humble yourself before God first. Amen? Let's go to the next thing. Uh, the last part of the outline, the exhortations we must take heed to. Look at James, the eighth verse of this fourth chapter. Look at what he says. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Divided loyalty, divided loyalty. That's not a good thing, right? Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Verse 10, let's read. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will, what will he do? He will lift you up in honor. God loves saints who are humble, who walk in humility. Pride will cause you to be at enmity with God. Pride will cause you to to have a downfall. God God hates pride. He said it in, in, in I think it was in Proverbs. He's Proverbs. I think it not it was in, in Psalm. He says uh, one one of seven things he hates was pride. A proud look. You got to be careful. Pride is a sneaky sin. It'll, it'll sneak up on you and make you think that you're not walking in it, but you are. It'll make you think you're not walking in it, but you are. Amen. Even when sometimes people will try to help you when you're in need, sometimes pride won't allow you to receive help. Anybody ever been there before? Okay. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Let's keep moving. We've got to go to the end of the chapter. Let's go. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. Okay? So, 
So, so again, first of all, we, we, he warns us against pride. Pride puts us at a distance from God. Pride defiles our hearts and our hands. And James promises us that if, 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 we, if, if we as believers will humble ourselves, God will lift us up. Okay? Is that right? Um, so he gives a warning against pride first and foremost. Go with me right quick, if you will, 1 Peter 5 and 6. 1 Peter 5 and 6. Let's look at that and we're going to get you out of here. This is a rich chapter. And, and I, I pray that you all are listening in, att- attentively tonight because God is about transformation. To transform something, Bobby, means what? What does that mean? Change. He's about transformation. Now, I want, I want, I want to challenge you to look over your life. Over the, just over the last five years, can you see or... Can people who are in relationship with you see transformation in your life? Do they see something different? Five years removed? If you go back over your life, if I were to ask people who know you, would they tell me that there's some difference in you now than 20 years ago? Are you still the same? Same stuff tripping you up. Same words come out your mouth that are not God edifying. Same attitude that you've been having all these years. Is there something different? God is about transformation. And when we are into him and when we are allowing his word and his Holy Spirit to have its perfecting work, we will be different. And you don't have to be the one to tell us you're different. We're going to notice it. People who are in connection and relationship with you are going to notice it. Watch out for people who are always trying to convince you that they change. Just live it. Okay? If you just live it, people are going to notice. Those who are in relationship with you are going to notice it. And if you are connected with your local church, we're going to notice it too because connectivity involves relationship, which means that somebody in here is going to know you well enough to know She's talking different. She, she handles stuff differently. He handles things, things different than he did 15 years ago. He's saying stuff today that I never would have dreamed of him saying. He's responding and acting in a way that, that five, five years ago I could not have imagined. That's life transformation. When the word of God is having its perfecting work, change is going to take place. So he says, so humble yourselves. Under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. When we walk in humility, when we humble ourselves under the mighty power of God, at the right time, He will lift us up in honor. Okay? So, He, he warns us against pride. So, pride, there's other scriptures I can give you on pride. Right, just write down Proverbs 29 and 23. We don't have time to go there, but there's other scriptures on pride. When you're walking in pride, you know, you put yourself in a position where God can't really bless you. He warns against criticism. Look at verse, go back to James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. When a man is worldly minded and proud, he's always quick, quick to criticize others. Worldly minded and prideful people are quick to criticize others. I'm of the opinion. Now, I love, you know, uh, I say love. I believe social media is a tool. But social media has given voice to people 
who probably aren't ready to have a voice. And when I say have a voice, in other words, you got people commenting on stuff that they ain't even read about. They don't even know about it. And so they'll comment on stuff out of ignorance. And then you saying stuff out of ignorance, not even knowing the full facts, hadn't read up on the thing, but you just talking. And whereas in the old days, when people just talked like that, it, it didn't go any further than, than, than the end of the block. Right? But now with social media, that person who's unlearned, hadn't studied the issues, don't know what's going on, now they talking. How many of y'all remember, uh, how many of y'all read over, uh, was that over the weekend? Well, just, 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 just recently, Andrew Luck decided that he was going to retire from football. Y'all saw that? Guess what happened? They start booing the man when he's walked off the field because his body, have y'all saw what that man's body has been through? All the surgeries, all the rehab. He, he got married, recently got married, got a child in the way, and he started rethinking life and said, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And then there was one commentator and Troy Aikman came out real hard against him. There's one commentator said that, you know, it's just like these millennials. Uh, they don't want to go through a little rehab or rehab is too hard. So they decide to retire from football. Man, I, I can appreciate a guy going out knowing when it's time to go out than a guy just keep hanging on and putting his body through something. His heart is not in it. But there are some folks who are talking about what he should have done. Ain't never played football or down in their life. But they got a voice now with social media. Hadn't studied the issue. Don't know anything about it. But some people, listen, I, I, I try as best I can. I'm, I'm just as guilty as, as all of y'all in here. Sometimes I've said stuff about things I hadn't did my due diligence and research on. But I try not to do that because, again, you don't ever know a situation until you know the situation. And when you look at a person, you're looking at a couple, you Whenever I do marriage counseling, I don't want to just talk to one. I want to talk to both of them. Because you get one side of the story, it's usually one side of the story. I can't remember a time, maybe once, where somebody came in and said, Pastor, it's all my fault. I'm the problem. Most of the time, they point at the other person. Right? So usually, there's, there's, there's two sides of that track. But... But I want the word of God to be the guiding light. And so sometimes people have voices and they, they're speaking out of ignorance and unlearnedness. Don't be guilty of that. You don't have to comment on everything, especially if you don't know what's going on. Especially if you don't know what's going on, even in your family, some stuff you don't know what's going on. Just keep your mouth quiet. It's okay. We don't have to hear your opinion on everything. Okay? 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 So quit posting stuff on Facebook. Making yourself look. Nobody's going to know that you don't know until you open your mouth. You know, <laughs> Proverbs even said something about that. If you, if you don't open your mouth, nobody won't know you're a fool. But when you open your mouth, 
You remove all doubt. Sometimes, don't, my point is, you don't have to comment on everything. Pray for people. Okay? All right. Warn against pride. Warn against criticism. The fighting among these Christians had its origin here. They were judging one another and speaking evil of one another. How many churches have been divided and disgraced by hateful, critical tongues? The Bible teaches us that we must have Christian discernment, okay? Christian discernment. But that doesn't mean that we, we can judge the hearts and the motives of others. You know, we ought to, y'all heard me say this before, when Jesus said over in Matthew, he talks about the fact that, you know, to judge not, but he said before you go and, he said before you go and judge a matter, deal with that big beam that's in your eye before you talk about the speck that's in somebody else's eye. We ought to judge right and wrong. We ought to say what's right and wrong, but, but we don't know the heart of a person. So quit trying to judge the heart and the motives of a person. That's God's job, not ours. Now, I can judge something that's right or wrong. If, if, if let's just say if Sister Galloway got up right now and came and slapped Charles upside the head. Now, I know Sister Galloway would do that, but if she did that, all of us know some of y'all start laughing because y'all saw Sister Galloway come up and doing it. All of us know without a get-go that Sister Galloway would be wrong if she came and slapped Charles inside the head. I mean, Sister Galloway can't, can't go back to the seat and say, don't y'all judge me. Yeah, we're going to judge that. That was wrong to inflict physical violence upon Charles and Charles hadn't, hadn't said anything. Even if he had said something, it would have been wrong to come and, and do that. Right? Okay. So, so we, we can judge that action. And what God is saying is sometimes we try to judge people's hearts. And some of us will say, Sister Galloway going to hell because she slapped Charles. How do, I, how do you know that? <laughs> let me ask you a question. Have you sinned since you've been saved? Have you sinned since you've been saved? So you're going to hell because you committed a sin? See, Jesus died for all of our sins. And so we got to make sure that we're not being critical people. There's a, there's a critical spirit out there. P- people nowadays, we're in a climate in America where everybody's critical of everybody. And so the church can't afford to get into that same trap or that mindset, okay? Um, when we judge other Christians without love and mercy, we're making ourselves lawgivers, and God is the only lawgiver, Okay? And the last thing it gives is warning against self-confidence. So those, what are those three things we warned against? What? Number one was what? Pride. Number two was what? Criticism. Okay. And third thing was what? Self-confidence. Verse 13 through 14 of Jane. Let's go. Well, we, we start here. Look here. Verse 13. Look here. You who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. Verse 14. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. Watch what he says. Now watch it. Look at this, verse 15. What you ought to say is this. If the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this and do that. If the Lord is willing, we'll do this and we'll do that. That's what he says, right? Verse 16, read. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own plans and all such boasting is evil. 17. Remember, it is sin 
Remember, it is what? To know what you ought to do. And what? Read it one more time. Come on, let's go. And then I do it. Warn against self-confidence. Pride, criticism, and self-confidence all go together. The humble man prays for his sinning brother and seeks to love him back to Christ. Verse 17 sums up this chapter and points out that we can sin by neglect as well as by deliberate action. Sometimes we sin by not doing what we know we're supposed to do. Sins of omission, I omitted doing what I knew to do, and sins of commission, I did something that I knew I shouldn't have done. Either way, it's what? Sin, okay? Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. It's not simply what we do, but what we do not do, that can be sin also, okay? So, so James here uh, is talking and, and, and sharing with these saints of God. And so these are things, these are warnings here that we got to make sure that we're on guard against and that we position ourselves where we uh, are not falling prey to uh, our own uh, uh, selfish and foolish pride, okay? God loves every last one of us in here, and he wants the very best for us. And we come to learn so that we can grow, all right? And so as, as, as we take this scripture, let's make sure that we take it and put it into, into our life and begin to guide our lives by it, okay?